What's up, church? How you doing? It's good to see you. My name is Brandon. I'm the senior pastor here. If you're visiting with us, this is your first time here, we're really glad that you're here. Um, have you ever pondered your existence? Ever just thought about that, that you're here? Uh, basically every day in high school, I would go to bed and I would think about these kinds of questions. I would, I would start thinking about, you know, maybe God would give me the ability to, you know, be on this earth, this ball that's swirling around in space around the sun. I would wonder like how many times trips around the sun I might be able to get. What, what would this life hold? I started thinking about history and just all the things that have happened in history that, you know, people dealing with hardships and difficulties and, and pain and sorrow and, and happiness and joy. And I think about all the things that we learned that were based on the testimony of someone else. I wasn't there. And, and I would think about just history. And, and I'd zoom out a little bit. I'd start thinking about the beginning of all this. Like, how did that happen? Why do we exist? Why is there anything? And I would think about what, would, what was before that. And my, my mind would start to hurt. And so I would zoom back out and I would go to the future. And I would think like, okay, if I, if I get to be here for like 70, 80, 90 more years, and then I die and then there's nothing, like what was the point? Have you ever thought about those things? Like, and then I did something that was like really intuitive to me at the time, but I had really no reason to do this. Uh, I would start to pray. I didn't know who I was praying to. I didn't know if, I, if there was anyone on the other side of that conversation, but I would start to pray. Have you ever wondered those kinds of things? Have you ever like wondered why, why? Like the, that question, why is a powerful one. Not that I am here. I, I get that I'm here, but why am I here? Is there a reason for it? Uh, what am I supposed to do in this world? What am I supposed to do with my life? You ever wondered those things? You ever asked the question, what's the point of what I'm doing? What's the point? You ever, maybe you've questioned the existence of God. Maybe you're at that point where you're just like, I'm not sure if he's really there. Uh, maybe you're at the point where if, if he was there, then I wouldn't like him. Maybe that's where you are. Uh, we all have all kinds of questions that we, we ask of life, ask in our world, maybe you grew up in church and, and like you, you've, now you're an adult or you're older and, and you start to question like, is there anything that was relevant that I learned while I was there? Is there anything that was relevant to life? Was any of it true? Uh, I don't know where, where your starting point is today. Like, I, I don't know where you are right now in your walk with God, whether there is one or not. But um, regardless of your starting point, I want you to consider something that for all of human history, we have, as human beings, we've worshiped all kinds of things. Uh, we've worshiped all kinds of things. You name it, we've worshiped it. And it would seem to be that we were made to worship something. And today I want to talk to you about someone someone that the Christian faith is founded upon, that is depended upon. Uh, he's a man who, who lived in the first century in, in Israel and he, he walked and he talked to people, he taught people and he had big crowds follow him and, and he said crazy audacious things like he's God, like he's the king. 
And, and, and not only did he say that he's God, but he told his disciples, his followers, that, that one day he would suffer and die. And then on the third day, he'd rise again. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Uh, and, and, and then he died on a Roman cross, this guy who said he was God. And then we see a movement that kind of sprang up that there was a bunch of people who started following this allegedly dead rabbi who they say rose from the grave and can change people's world, change people's lives for eternity. And you ever think about that? Like the things that we believe as Christians, pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. But only if it's untrue. If it's true, then that changes things. See, people have worshiped all kinds of things in this world. And so the question is today that I'm going to ask is why Jesus? Why Jesus? There are all kinds of religions, all kinds of paths that people say lead to God. Why Jesus? And to that question, I say the resurrection. Because if he did actually rise from the grave, then that changes everything. That changes this world. That changes our existence. That changes what eternity looks like. But if he didn't, then what we do right now is meaningless. And so the question that is behind the question of why Jesus is, what do you do with Jesus? Because here's the thing. No historian is going to deny that he lived. A few might, but they're kind of on the fringe. Just, what do you do with Jesus? This guy lived. and He died on a Roman cross. And then a bunch of people said that he rose from the dead. So what do you do with Jesus? That's the most important question you can ever ask of your faith, whatever, what, any most important question you could ever ask of the Bible, it's the most important question. What do you do with Jesus? See, I'm convinced that how we answer that question, what do you do with Jesus, our answer hinges on eternity. Uh, and so let, let, me, let me bring us up to speed all together. The, the Bible has an Old Testament and New Testament. In the New Testament, there's four books that started out called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're written by real people who spent time walking and talking and spending time with Jesus. And, and they're, they're named by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because those are the four authors. And that's as creative as they could be as far as their title. <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. Chalk that one up. Uh, first service liked it, okay? Uh, so Matthew, he was, a, he was a tax collector and, and he was basically a traitor against the Roman government, uh, against his people, the Israelites. And, and so he was on the Roman side and Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And then he's, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. And, and then he wrote an account of what he saw Jesus do. And we know that as the book of Matthew. And we have the book of Mark and he was a ministry partner of the apostle Peter. The, the apostle that at one time, he had a bad day. He was called Satan by Jesus. Not a good day. But, but, but Peter walked with Mark and he told him about his account with Jesus. And, and we have the gospel of Mark. And then you have Luke and Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And he, he set out, he was walking and, and doing ministry with the apostle Paul, planting churches all throughout the known world. And, and Luke decided to go and, and develop an orderly account of what happened. So he talked to eyewitnesses who, who spent time with Jesus, learned from Jesus, who saw Jesus raise from the grave. And then there's the gospel of John. And John wrote this. He was the, the, the disciple, apostle John, and, and he calls himself Jesus's beloved disciple. He, he was besties with Jesus. 
And, and so he wrote this, he wrote his gospel account. And, and inside of this, he gives us the reason why he wrote it in John chapter 20. He says this, but these, like this letter, these, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and, by that, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, from, from, the, from the moment Jesus came on the scene of history and to the time that he died and allegedly rose from the grave, there has been a group of people who spent time with him, who knew him, who learned from him, and they have been convinced from then that eternity, that life now, and that life for eternity hinges on what you do with Jesus because of what he said. And so John wrote, this gospel account. And I want to just look at some of the claims that Jesus made that, that people made about him, that he made about himself, uh, because they're, they're pretty audacious. So John 1, this is what it says in verse 1. In, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now it begs the question, who's the Word? And verse 14 says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So real quick, I want to put, a, put our uh, good first century Jew thinking caps on. So you're a good first century Jew. Congratulations. And when you read this, when you saw the word dwelt, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you would have been thinking back. If you grew up in church, if you, you know a little bit about the Bible, you would be thinking about the Exodus. When God's people in, Israel, God's people in Egypt being held in bondage and slave to them, when God took Moses and he said, let my people go to Pharaoh. And eventually they, they got away from Pharaoh, got away from Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness. And then God said, I'm going to be with you. And he said, build a tabernacle. And so God was with them by day and by night, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, keeping them warm at night and keeping them uh, shielded from the sun during the day. And God was with them. He dwelt with them. And so when he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among them, that's what they would have thought. That they would have thought about the time when God was very much with their ancestors. But now the word became flesh and dwelt among them, that God had become a man. See, here's the thing about the world religions. Most religions, if you boil it down, uh, result in you got to do these right things in order to reach either reach God or like nirvana. As long as you, you do the right things, you'll get reincarnated uh, till you get it right. And then you can reach nirvana, as the Buddhists would say. Or, or, or if you do enough good things, then maybe God would have mercy on you like a Muslim would say. It's, it's all dependent on us climbing the do-good ladder to get to God. But what we see in Christianity is something far different. What we see is that God decided that he loved you enough that he would come down, that he would stoop low and be with you because he knew that you couldn't climb that ladder. He knew that you wouldn't and you couldn't. And so he knew that he had to come down. And so the testimony about Jesus is not that he beckoned us from heaven to climb that ladder, but that he came down. But wait, there's more. Here's some uh, accounts of what people said. This is uh, verse 29 in chapter one. The next day, John, this is Jesus's cousin, John. Uh, so imagine your cousin saying this about you. He they wouldn't say it. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your cousins would not be saying that about you. <laughs> and the church said, 
Verse 34, it says this, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And then verse 49, Nathaniel is talking to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Jesus, you're, you're the Lamb of God. You're, you are the one who's gonna take away the sins of the world. You're gonna be paying the debt that no one else could pay the debt that we are all enslaved to, you're that person, you're that Messiah, you're that king, you are a king. You're the king. But here's the thing, the Israelites thought that they were gonna have a king who would come and, and defeat the Romans, drive them out, and Israel was gonna be able to be back to being a kingdom again, and they would be able to go forth and be like the glory days under King Solomon. That's what they thought. And that's what they say when they're saying, you're the king. But, but Jesus had a little bit different of an idea about who he was and what his kingdom would be like. Because here's a, a quick list of what Jesus said about himself, okay? This is what he said about himself. To know him is to know God. To see him is to see God. To believe in him is to believe in God. To receive him is to receive God. To hate him is to hate God. To honor him is to honor God. Now picture this. <laughs> You're at home. And, and you've got your neighbors. I don't know how far away your neighbors are, but if, if they're a little bit of ways away, they got some really good speakers, okay? One day you hear your neighbor come outside and they're on a loudspeaker and say, hey, everyone, to see me is to see God, to know me is to know God, to honor me is to honor God, to hate me is to hate God. What would you do? What would you do? You get on the phone and call the police because they're crazy. That's what Jesus said about himself. That's what Jesus said about himself. <laughs> so up, to the, up till now, you could, someone could like chalk this all up to fantasy, to, to hogwash, <laughs> to mythology. You can say that's just, he's just a, a charismatic leader who had a good following. He knew how to get people's attention and keep it. He did some cool tricks and he said some crazy things about himself. Like we could, we could chalk it all up to that. But I want us to consider his defining moment, the resurrection. Because if this did happen, then it changes everything. If it didn't, then it is fantasy. It is hogwash and it is mythology because he lied. And so let's consider what happened to Jesus and why there's a bunch of people in this world who believe that he rose from the grave. According to the most analyzed, most scrutinized, most proven to be reliable documents in history, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's been no documents, no other documents in history that have been uh, evaluated, cross-referenced, dissected, and looked at as much as these books have. Uh, if, if scholars held uh, other historical documents to the standards they hold Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to, then we would not believe half the things that we know about history, okay? And so according to those documents, there was a group of people, the Jewish leaders, that they started to scheme against Jesus because Jesus was getting a big following. And he was, starting, he was, he was this rabbi who was doing things not like how they thought they, that he should do. 
Jesus was the kind of guy, he was spending time with the people who the Pharisees and the Sadducees would, would have said, these are the Jewish leaders, uh, they would have said, they're unclean. You should not be around them. They, Jesus, if he were here in Bluffton, he would be up at the bars doing ministry there. He'd be at the places where you would avoid going because that's where he would go. He would go to the places that had the biggest need, the, the, the people who knew that they were sick, and he's the doctor. That's where he would go. That's where he went. And because, the, because of that, the religious leaders did not like what he was doing. And so, so he, he's getting this following and these Jewish leaders, they even got one of his closest disciples to betray him in Judas. And so one night he gets arrested by these people and he's arrested. He's talk, taken to the Jewish leaders uh, called the Sanhedrin. It's kind of this Jewish council of leaders. And they start to question Jesus. And say, who, who are you? Are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? And he say, you, you say, you say so, yeah. And, and the Jewish leaders, they could not put him to death. They knew that. And so they had a plan. They would take him to Pontius Pilate, who historically we know that was having a little bit of issues with Rome. And if you have an issue with Rome as a Roman governor, that ain't gonna work out for you. I mean, you're gonna get fired in a little bit more than that. So, so he's on, on eggshells a little bit. And so he's taken, they take this Jesus guy, this, who, who they're saying, hey, uh, Pontius, I know you got some issues right now with Rome. Um, by the way, this Jewish guy, this guy, we wanna get rid of him. He's saying he's king. And we know that Caesar's not gonna be good with that because under Caesar, he's the only king. That's what Rome did, they conquered, okay? And so, so Pontius Pilate, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. And so they take Jesus back to a back room and Pontius Pilate starts, hey, you, you've heard what they've been saying. You, you've heard what they've been saying about you. Are, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say so. And so Pontius Pilate doesn't see any, 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 any grounds for, for doing anything to Jesus. But, but when he comes back out, the crowds have gathered. The leaders have, have spoiled the crowds up. They've gotten them ramped up and they are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And what Pontius Pilate decides to do is say, hey, every, every year at the Passover, uh, we let one of your prisoners go. One of the Jews, we let them out who we've been holding in captive. So he, he brings out this guy named Barabbas, who was a murderer. Uh, and, and he brings out Jesus. He says, who do you want? Who do you want? You want Barabbas, the, the killer? You want the murderer? The, the guy you probably don't want around your grandparents. You don't want him around your aunt and uncle. You don't want him around your kids, your cousins. You don't want Barabbas around. He says, you want Jesus. Who do you want to be freed? And the, and the crowd yells, Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And the crowds choose Barabbas. And Jesus takes Barabbas' place on death row. And Pontius Pilate sees what's happening. He's like, I'm gonna have to deal with this crowd. I'm gonna have to just appease them. And he, and he orders for Jesus to be flogged. And, and flogging, just to give you an idea of what that's like, um, I talked to a doctor. Uh, he was in a book. He told me in a book, you know, I read it. <laughs> Dr. Alexander Methril. I don't know if that's how you say your name, say his name. He didn't tell me. Uh, but he, this is what he said. This is what he said about flogging. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the deep, deep cuts. The whippings would have gone all the way from the shoulders down to the back, the buttocks and the back of the legs. It was just terrible. 
And so Jesus is flogged. He's got, he's got his wounds open. You can probably see part of his, his back, his bones, his ribs. And, and he, he's ordered to go up to Golgotha, the place of skulls, Mount Calvary. And, and it is there that he, he carries a cross. He had to get some help. And he's carrying that cross up there. And then he gets up to the top, to the place of skulls. There's two other people there who are criminals because this is how you dealt with a criminal. You crucified him under Roman rule. And, and he gets up there and they nail stakes, not nails, stakes, thick, thick stakes in between his two arm bones, right up against his wrist. That's where he got nailed. Nice and secure right there, and then through his feet. And he's hanging there on the cross. And as he's hanging, here's the thing about crucifixion. You don't die from bleeding. You die from suffocation. The Romans were really good at killing people, slowly. And so Jesus is hanging on this cross and his weight is pulling him down. His arms are giving up. And every time his arms give up, he can't breathe. So he has to push up on the nails on his feet so that he can take in a breath. And then he lets it all out as he goes down. And that goes on for hours. And he gets to the point where he's ready to give his life. And he says three words that we hold dearly. It is finished. And then he breathes his last and, and the people, the Romans who were around him, this is what they got paid to do. They got paid to crucify people. They knew when someone was dead. But just for good measure, they came up and they took a spear and they stabbed him right in the, in the ribs just to be sure that he was dead. So Jesus of Nazareth with the king of the Jews as a sign above his head to mock him, a crown of thorns, he is dead. And Joseph of Arimathea, a guy part, uh, who was part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, who was in a disagreement with what the Sanhedrin did, he, he, he offers uh, Jesus' followers to have his tomb, to use his tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. He takes the women to the tomb, shows them where Jesus is gonna be, and they prepare his body for burial up to the point where they had to get back home because the Sabbath was about to be here. So they had some, some things to finish up in terms of preparing his body for burial. And so Friday night is happening. Jesus' disciples are hiding. They ran away. They are in hiding because they are afraid that what happened to their, their rabbi, to their, their Messiah, at least that's what they thought would happen to them. They are in hiding. Everything they thought Jesus would do, everything they thought Jesus would be, Every hope that they had, every dream that they had, every hope that they would be able to reign with them was gone because they didn't get it. Jesus' disciples were not the sharpest tools in the shed. They didn't get it and we probably wouldn't have either. And so they are hiding. Friday night happens. They sleep, maybe. Saturday comes. It's the Sabbath. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. All you can do is think about what has happened. No hope. Sunday morning comes. The women want to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. And so they go and they, they take all the stuff that they have and they get around the corner. They know where they're going, right to the, the tomb that where Joseph Arimathea offered. And get this, all, that, all the while, there were Roman guards standing guard by the tomb. The Romans were smart enough to know what Jesus had been saying to put guards there. 
But when they got around the corner and saw the tomb, they saw that the tomb, that the stone that was filled over the entrance was rolled away and they saw that the tomb was empty. And they freaked out. Because up till now, like a, a missing body is not that unique. That happens. And so what happened? The, the women go and run to the disciples and they tell them, they tell them what they saw. And a couple of the disciples ran to the tomb and they saw what the women saw. And then they started asking the question, where is Jesus? But as the account goes on, Jesus didn't just disappear. He started showing up and appearing to not only the disciples, but 500 other people who were still alive when John was writing this, were still alive when Paul was writing things, who was still alive when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing their accounts of what happened about Jesus. These people saw him. And for some reason, when, when they saw Jesus, for some reason, the disciples who were scared now started preaching this message. Acts 3.15, they said this, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of this. This is not something that we just believe to be true. This is something we know to be true. We saw him with our very own eyes. We know that Jesus is alive. Our faith is not dependent on just some belief. People believe wrong things all the time, don't they? People believe wrong things all the time. But what, they, what did they have? People have alleged, alleged that, that the, the disciples came up with the greatest hoax in history. That 11 unschooled ordinary men were able to come up with the greatest hoax in history. That they, that they somehow got, be, got be behind the Roman guards. They got past them. They rolled the stone away. They hid Jesus' body. They were smart enough to think this is what's supposed to happen. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. He's not doing it, so we're going to do it for him. They were, they were, they were hiding. But, but allegedly, they, they did all that. They took Jesus. They hid him for centuries upon centuries. And then not only that, that they, that they hid his body, but they convinced thousands upon thousands of people that the dead rabbi that they saw crucified was in fact alive and he's the way to eternity with God. That he's the salvation, he's the savior of the world. That he's the king of the world. That they convinced them. And for what? For power, for significance. They gained none of those things. In fact, the disciples, what did they have to gain to make up a story like that? They were burned at the stake. They were flogged. They were crucified, crucified upside down. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose. Would they do all that for a made up story? Would you die for something you knew to be a lie? No, but would they die for something they knew to be true? That's exactly what happened. They knew Jesus was alive. Here's the thing. All they needed to disprove Christianity, all we still need today is a body. That's it. And our faith is gone. Because if he's still dead, we have no hope. All they needed was a body. Christianity is founded upon one of the most falsifiable claims in history. If he died and rose again, then our faith is secure. If he didn't, there's nothing. Here's, here's the thing. Buddha said, look to the wisdom of my teaching for credibility. 
If, if I'm wise, then you can trust that I'm from God. Muhammad said, look to the beauty and the eloquence of the Quran. That's subjective. Jesus said, as a proof for his divinity, as a proof for his wisdom, after three days, I will rise again. That's not up to opinion. That's not up to conjecture. That's either something that happened or it didn't. Our faith is founded upon the most falsifiable claim in history. And the question is, what do you do with Jesus? Because my friends, I'm here to say that just like Babe Ruth in the batter's box, Jesus called his shot. And not only did he call a shot for some show, but he did it too. He said, I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise again. If there's anything you need an exclamation point about the fact that I'm from God and I am God, it's that, it's that. Here's, here's the truth. What do you do with Jesus? Because the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of eternity. It's the linchpin. With it, we've got hope. Without it, no hope. No hope. In Jesus, we see God coming down. In Jesus, we see the love of God on full display. In Jesus, we see God establishing and reestablishing his rule and reign on earth. Jesus is not just a savior. He is Lord. He is king. We come to him and we surrender to him. And that is how we respond to his amazing grace. Mark 1.15, Jesus was clear when he came. This is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is the miracle working king. See, what I'm getting to know about this group here in this room is that many of us are walking miracles. That many of us have stories that articulate something like this. That I used to be broken and beyond repair, but then I met Jesus. You might be someone who your friends say, you go to church when they first found out because they're afraid that the ceiling is gonna cave in. That's me. You, you may be someone who used to be abandoned and then you met Jesus. You may be someone who you didn't believe in God, but then you met Jesus. You may be someone who you, you were angry at God, but then you met Jesus. You had a real encounter with the living Christ, the one who came to save you. Some of us were religious legalists striving to keep the rules and keeping God's good graces. And then we met Jesus who was more gracious than we could ever have imagined. Have you met Jesus? We worship Jesus because he is alive. He is not in the tomb. We worship Jesus because he was not swallowed up by death, but he rose victorious and defeated death. So that when we die, what we experience is just simply an address change. Because of Jesus, evil in the world, evil in me. That's a question we never think about when we say, why does evil exist? Why does evil exist in me? Jesus came to deal with the evil in the world and the evil in me. Because of Jesus, we have an answer to our deepest longings for transcendence. The reason we ask the question, why am I here? The reason we look for purpose, the reason we, we, we wonder if there's anything beyond now is because we were created. We were designed to desire our creator. And we see that answer in Jesus. We know that God cares for us and he is with us because of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the father except through me. No one. His promise is guaranteed by his victory over sin and death. And just as he was raised, this is our promise. Just as he was raised from the dead, we too will be raised to new life. For even though we die, we will live forever with him. So the question that we've started with, 
that we've been talking about this week is did the resurrection really happen? Did it happen? Did the resurrection really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the grave? I'm staking my life on the fact that he did because the testimony of those who knew him, I trust their testimony. Those who knew not only the Jesus before the crucifixion, but the Jesus who rose from the grave and gave a group of scared, confused, frightened men the courage, men and women, the courage to go and spread the greatest news in history to the ends of the earth. That somehow they got courage because I think they met Jesus risen from the grave. And ever since then, the masses have been able to start and walk in a relationship with the living God because Jesus came. And he died. So if you've never surrendered to Jesus and you're here today, I want to make some space at the end of the service. We're going to have some people who would love to talk to you, who would love to counsel you in that, how, how, to, to, just, how to respond to God's grace because you may not know how to. Uh, they're going to be in the prayer room right outside of, of the doors, uh, right along the hallway. And they would love to just pray for you. They would love to talk to you about what it looks like to surrender your life to Jesus. Because here's the thing. If Jesus really rose from the grave, then he is king. And eternity hinges on the idea that he gave you grace. And the way to receive that grace is to surrender to the king. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If that's something you've never done before, then I want to make some space after service for you to do that. And I just have to say, like, it's not that I only believe in Jesus and believe that he really rose from the dead and is alive today only because of the testimony of someone else, but because I've experienced him in my life. Because if you wanna have purpose, you wanna have abundance, you wanna be loved and be cared for and, and just walk with the assurance that God is for you, that God is with you, here is the thing. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can come to the Father only through me only through me. It's in him that we have hope. Uh, I want to end, our, end this message a little bit differently. If you guys would stand. I want to give us some space to think about someone you know in your life who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You, you know someone in your, in your walk, in your, in, your, in your realm of influence, your circles that you run with. You may know someone. I hope you know someone who doesn't yet know him, I want you to just take that person to God. Maybe it's someone who, maybe they're good with God in a theoretical way. Maybe they, they like God. Maybe they, they even are like, like Jesus, but they've never surrendered to him. Maybe you, maybe you have someone in your life like that. I'm gonna give you some space to just spend with God, take their name to Jesus and ask him to use you and ask the Holy Spirit to just take over their, over their life and call them to him. Let's go ahead and do that. Spend some time with your king.